rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Ah, should we call it Wacky Wednesday, Wonderful Wednesday, uh, Wyoming Wednesday. I don't know about Wyoming. I want to visit there, though. A good buddy of mine went out to uh, Jackson Hole on a fly fishing trip uh, this summer. Said it was great. But anyway, happy Wednesday, everyone. This is J.C. Sherbert. This is Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Wednesdays are always great because I have my segment on JB and Goldwater uh, if you guys aren't listening to JB and Goldwater from 12 to 2, uh, they stream it on the Podbean app. They stream it on YouTube. They stream it on Twitter. Uh, be sure to check those guys out, even when I'm not on Monday through Friday. It's it's probably the most up-and-coming, dynamic uh, daily sports talk show in the state of South Carolina. And they talk everything, talk a lot of Gamecocks uh, based out of Charleston. Jamie and, uh, and uh, Darren are really good co-host and they have really good guests and i highly highly recommend that for you and i'll be on today uh normal time around 12 30 talking with those guys it's always a hilariously good segment um me and those guys really have a good rapport so check that out today i also do radio in tuscaloosa alabama if any of you gamecocks are hiding over there in tide country i'm on with wimp and barry sanderson 7 30 a.m central every wednesday uh, and then later today, Mike Morgan and I will drop yet another J.C. and Morgan College Football Podcast. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think Andy Staples is going to be on with us today, so we'll have a good guest for that particular show. So Wednesdays are great. Uh, got some mailbag questions to get to today on this podcast. I uh, got some things to talk about, uh, obviously. Uh, also want to thank all of you guys. Uh, we were looking through the numbers uh, with all the 24-7 sports podcasts the other day. As far as guys that have been giving ratings or audiences that have been given ratings uh, on the Apple store, the Apple podcast store and South Carolina, uh, we're jumping up there. You know, this is the South Carolina podcast for 24 seven sports. We're jumping up uh, and we're about to catch Tennessee uh, and Florida state. So if you guys want to help me catch uh, the Vols and the Seminoles, uh, get your friends, get your wife, get your husband, uh, get your kids, take their phones, go rate me five stars, write a review. Um, and we're, our numbers are going to continue to go up there. And I really appreciate all that. Cause like, uh, like I said, it's kind of a contest now. So we want the Gamecock podcast to be the very best podcast in the 24 seven sports network with the biggest audience. And it's already the greatest group of fans. I mean, we already have the greatest group of fans in South Carolina. Uh, so we need to have that translate into some numbers, uh, to where we could be number one, uh, and that certainly would help me. There's no financial incentive on that, by the way. <laughs> I don't make a quarter every time you guys write a review or rate it five stars. It just helps get more listeners. Um, and then sometime down the road, you know, we'll open it up for advertising uh, and all that. I've got some plans to to kind of work that back in. Uh, but for right now, you know, we're just kind of trying to grow it and trying to be the best within the 24-7 Sports Podcasting Network. So thank you. For all of that. All right, so on the bigspur.com yesterday, and if you hadn't read it, I believe it's not a VIP article. I believe it's a free article. Yes, John Whittle, my good friend, who covers all the teams at South Carolina. Uh, John Whittle has uh, has written a depth chart proje- projection 
this is his opinion. So we're going to go through it uh, for the offense. Uh, and I'm going to kind of give my opinion, um, you know, and so uh, we'll see what's that. And then I'm going to let you go read the article with all his details. But I'm going to fill in the blank, give you his answers and give you kind of my thoughts. So we're going to play a fun little game here, I guess. <laughs> um, by the way, I hope Jadevian Clowney doesn't sit out this season in the NFL. I really, really don't. Somebody somewhere needs to sign that guy. Um, but I know money's involved there and all that. So we'll see See ultimately what happens. I don't know why anybody wouldn't want a pass rusher. You could play Jadevian Clowney on third down alone, and he'd probably be worth it, in my opinion. But the NFL doesn't ask me what I think ever, and probably nor should they because I was – I questioned taking Patrick Mahomes over Deshaun Watson in the draft. My big point was neither one of those guys should have been behind Mitch Trubisky. So maybe I was right about that, but wrong about Mahomes. I very, I very much so undervalued him. Uh, but anyway, uh, sometimes I'm a little better at quarterbacks than those guys are, though. So anyway, we'll see kind of what happens with that. So speaking of quarterbacks, here we go. Um, you got uh, Jay Urich, Colin Hill, Ryan Holinsky, Luke Doty, um, all in the mix. It's Colin Hill and Ryan Holinsky essentially for the starting job. Luke Doty is third and going to play all over and going to see some snaps in time. But right now it's Hill versus Holinsky. Uh, and Whittle says he projects Colin Hill. And um, – that kind of goes along with what I've heard. You know, the the word is, is that he's a little bit ahead, knows the system better. There's not that much difference between in terms of talent between the two. Um, I, 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 I agree that there's concerns about his knees. Anytime you've had three ACLs, it's, uh, it's always a concern. Um, but I think with this offense, you have to go out and execute it. And I think the guy that executes it the best is the guy that's going to get the job. Um, and, uh, and I think that right now that's Colin Hill. Now I'll remind everyone that last year in preseason camp, when Ryan Holinsky was a true freshman, you know, there was a lot of talk about whether it would be to and Joyner or Holinsky and that Holinsky lit it up. And I think the second or third scrimmage, and then it was clear, Ryan Holinsky was number two, uh, no questions asked. So maybe that's a trend with Holinsky and, and, you know, maybe he's a camp guy that, uh, you know, ends up getting better as camp goes on, the light comes on or whatever, and he goes out there and does it. But, you know, look, I, I think that there's been a lot of unfairness about Ryan Holinsky. First and foremost, the fact that he had to start 11 games last year was unfair. <laughs> uh, and and I, I do think that there could have been some things coaching-wise that could have helped him out a lot. Um, for example, you know, I think if – there were another play. I think even if Kurt Roper were calling the plays last year, it would have helped because Kurt Roper obviously did a really good job with Jake Bentley, uh, calling, kind of calling it and guiding him through uh, his first season. Um, and, and I just don't know that McClendon knew how to handle that. You know, you, you know, there, there's a lot of things about Brian McClendon when things were going well uh, and you had your starters out there and you had your guys and, and you know, your offense was – getting some momentum and going up and down the field that that offense worked. Um, but then, you know, again, you'd have adjustments that were made or you'd have a game plan that was kind of a surprise. I'll use the Virginia game as an example in the Belk bowl. I think Virginia schemed them up really well. 
because uh, those guys can coach. And uh, they didn't have an answer. So, so there were not a lot of second and third answers. Uh, I think with a f- true freshman quarterback, you know, you got to have that. You can't just say, go out there, get us in the right play, let's do it, or let's run this collection of plays uh, or whatever. So I think, number one, that, that was unfair. Number two, I, I think that the way he performed against Bama and Georgia last year, which by all accounts, I thought, you know, his three best games were probably Charleston, Southern, Bama, and Georgia. Um, I think that skewed it kind of the other way, where people think that that, that, that could be the norm. You know, I, I, I don't know. You know, those were two very good defenses. Georgia's was probably a lot better than Bama's. Bama wasn't their normal defense, but it's Bama. It's national TV. You stand in there and fire the football, and you don't back down. You're starting to think, well, it's probably going to be a pretty good guy. Uh, so I think, I think those types of expectations need to be brought back down to earth. And then you have the crowd that, you know, just judge quarterbacks based on wins, uh, you know, and, and <laughs> I mean, you know, that's like basing a you know a starting starting pitcher in baseball with a one and four record because the bullpen sucks and because the, the lineup sucks, but he has a one point one ERA. You know, that's like sitting there and and, and blaming him for uh, you know for 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 the record. And so I just don't think that's cool either. So there's a lot of unfairness. And, and I think, too, that w- with his recruiting ranking or ranking as a recruit coming in, um, expectations are probably higher than they should be um, this early in his career. Keep in mind, too, he can redshirt this year and then has another redshirt on top of that, you know, I mean, because he played. So he's his clock pauses. He's got plenty of time left in the program as well. Um, it, it's not like – these are both two grizzled veterans going at each other. Colin Hill's been playing college football a lot longer than Ryan Holinsky. Um, so that's what I think. I, I think people need to treat Ryan Holinsky fair. I, I don't, you know, and, and this was reported, you know, maybe Holinsky isn't the first one in the building and last one out type of guy. But, but that, that's not, that's not going to keep him, you know, uh, that's not going to keep him from winning the job. You know, I think they would like that. That's not what's keeping him from winning. What's going to keep him from winning the job is Colin Hill and his performance, you know? And so people, you know, some people are talking about how people don't like Ryan Holinsky. Some people use the character question, you know, Ryan Holinsky is beloved by all fans. Um, Most fans uh, he's beloved by his teammates. He's beloved by the coaches uh, let's just make that clear. You know, there's no attitude there. There's no, and he's working extremely hard. Okay. Um, and again, what's going to get him, you know, the reason he's not going to win the job if he doesn't win it, because right now, again, Whittle says it's going to be Colin Hill. He's projecting that. I would project that if I had to project, I haven't projected, but I, if I had to project, but we got a long way to go. We got 24 days till the opener. And we were probably about 10 or 11 days away from them getting into game prep where they have to say, all right, you're our guy. So, you know, I, I, I just, you know, be fair to the guy. You know, don't latch on to everything to try to explain to yourself because you're confused because of his recruiting ranking. And because you think South Carolina's beneath starting a, you know, quarterback that was at Colorado State that, that's really good, you know, don't, 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 don't sit there and try to justify it and blame it on him. Um, in terms of uh, some kind of character flaw, you know, is it true that maybe he ha- he's been doing a lot of different things and 
involved in a lot of different things? Yeah. Uh, is it true that maybe sometimes uh, when you're talking about football, you know, that, that can get you a little behind or make you distracted? Um, yeah. Is that really the case and why he's not going to win the job if he doesn't? No. He's not going to win the job because because Colin Hill is going to beat him out. If that ends up being the case, Ryan Holinsky could beat Colin Hill out. Um, I think if Luke Doty had been going through the spring the whole time, he'd be right there in the mix too because he's got some stuff to him that you know the other two don't have, and he's been very impressive. So you know we'll see what happens there, but uh, Whittle projects Colin Hill at quarterback. So running back. Um, you got Rashad Amos, Deshaun Fenwick, Kevin Harris, Zaquandre White. Um, and there goes my dog again. And I just can't believe that, you know, that happens every morning. Um, but uh, so, so they got those four. Those are the, the fearsome foursome, so to speak, there. Um, Whittle projects Deshaun Fenwick. Fenwick's had a really good, really good, uh, awesome, really, uh, for him. Uh, spring and summer, you know, before the, the five game, five practices in spring, we heard good things. We've heard good things here. Uh, I would, you know, lean toward Fenwick possibly, but I, I also, I wouldn't count out the other three. Keep in mind, White just got there. So he's feeling his way. Uh, he could overtake him. Uh, keep in mind, Kevin Harris is in the mix too. And those of you that want to move Kevin Harris to fullback full time, that's not going to happen. Uh, he's not a fullback. He's he's a running back. He's got a different style, bowling ball kind of style. He's a bigger, thicker running back, but he's not a fullback. You know, he may play there some in spot duty like he did last year, but Adam Prentice is the fullback. And then the kid that came in from um, Heath uh, from Hammond behind him I almost made a big boo boo there. Uh, I think he's going to be the other fullback, and I think they could play Kevion Mullins or Kayshawn Tony some there too. Um, watch out for Rashad Amos as we move forward. He had some good runs uh, in the scrimmage the other day. Obviously, he has to hold on to the football. But talent-wise, you know, he's checking out right now too. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I'll agree with Whittle yet again. Um, on um, Benwick, because he, it's probably going to be a situation if the scrimmages continue to go well for him and practice goes well for him where he's going to have earned the earned the first carries. But I think they're all going to play. Um, and, uh, you know, some will get more carries than others, but we'll see kind of what happens there. Uh, I would say Fenwick. I would lean Fenwick right now. Um, obviously, if Marshawn Lloyd hadn't gotten hurt, he was going to be the guy. Um, and Phil Whittle's got Zaquandre White listed as the backup. I would probably say initially Kevin Harris would be the first guy off the bench. Um, but you don't know. I mean, you know, all of a sudden White may bounce up and be the guy. So you just don't know. So we'll see kind of what happens there. I think that uh, I think that uh, that's certainly going to be an interesting spot. Now, raw wide receiver is a spot where I was I've been talking about this here on the podcast. Uh, and Whittle's top six backs up my top six. You know, you got Jalen Brooks, if he's cleared, Xavier Leggett, Shai Smith. That's a good wide receiving core. Xavier Leggett, as an athlete, we'll see how he plays at receiver. He's big, and he's super fast. <laughs> uh, Shai Smith is not that big, but 
he's very fast. Jalen Brooks is 6'3", 190, and fast enough. Those are three guys that can make plays. So then you so you, you look at the top three, and you're cooking with grease, and then you look behind them, you got DeCarry and Joyner, who I think is going to be a big part of the offense this year and is a good playmaker and a great athlete. Luke Doty, who they've been talking about, and then Rico Powers, the stud freshman. Um, Josh Van would be probably your seventh guy. Uh, and then probably like your Renricus Davises and or Trey Smith's kind of behind them. Um, uh, maybe Van does not get over or Trey if he comes back or, or Renricus Davis. But uh, I think that, you know, you've heard some good things from Muschamp about Van. Uh, the guy needs to quit dropping passes. He lived, I think he led the SEC in drops last year. But going back and watching some of the plays he made on film, you know, last year, that if he hadn't gotten hurt, he may have he may have still been coming on. I mean, you know, you just don't know. I thought in 2018, you know, and and this just kind of goes to show you how much the, that bowl, the freaking uh, belt bowl, sticks in people's minds. You know, if you think back to his freshman year, Josh Van was you know the fourth fifth guy, but he was coming along, caught a touchdown at Ole Miss, had a couple of other good grabs was a freshman, you know, didn't have the luxury of going through the offseason the season before. Uh, and then he gets to the Belk Bowl, and, you know, Carolina's got some momentum on offense, and then he's wide open. Jake Bentley hits him in the hands, and he drops it. And everybody remembers that the entire offseason. And then he had the drops last year. So if he can quit having the drops, I mean, I, I think he can be a productive guy. I mean, and again, you're talking about him right now being the seventh guy. So, you know, that, that's pretty good. And he may move up some because he is experienced. Tight end, uh, I don't think there's any question that um, – there goes my dog again. I just wish people would <laughs> – goodness gracious. Um, apologize for that, folks. Um, I don't think there's any question Nick Muse is the guy. I don't know who's going to play behind him. Will register right now. Kevion Mullins is going to be a guy that uh, plays some in what they call, I think, the C area is what he calls it, Muschamp. Uh, they're going to split him out and get him in some pass patterns, take advantage of his athleticism. But, you know, there's a lot for him to learn. Um, and this is a position right now that that I think as a whole, because you have Jaheim Bell hurt, Eric Shaw just now started practicing, Will Register hasn't played a whole lot. Nick Muse is coming off an ACL. They like Keyshawn Tony kind of as a jack of all trades, special teams guy. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of looking at, I mean, the, a lot of bodies, but like maybe not a lot of not a lot of uh, answers behind Nick Muse. Um, you know, Patrick Reedy is a walk on that I've heard good things about as well. And, and I, you know, I would I would throw him in the mix, kind of like the he's like, and I think he went to the same high school that Jacob August did. But he's the next Jacob August. The big old six seven walk on tight end types. Carolina seems to get those out of Cardinal Newman, no doubt. So keep an eye on him when we're talking about uh, the tight end position. Uh, but boy, Nick Muse staying healthy is very key for that spot. You know, otherwise, uh, I don't know. It's going to get interesting. Uh, and I'm sure they'll still use Chandler Farrell some as a blocker, um, even though he's playing some D tackle right now. Offensive tackle, easy here. Jaston Turrentine, who's been a the guy they've, they've penciled in as a starter since he got there. You know, I 
I had some questions about him coming out of JUCO. Is he going to be ready without spring practice? Well, he's ready. You don't really hear much, you know, about the left tackle job. Um, and then Dylan Wanham, of course, is an all-SEC uh, freshman-type guy when he was in. And, you know, he was hurt some last year. And that, helped, that hurt the Gamecocks on offense. Uh, and then behind them, you got Ja'Kai Moore and Jalen Nichols, who I think last year when they played, played pretty well. I think they're still coming on and developing. Um, those guys are going to all benefit from the red shirt situation. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But uh, I think really for the first time since Eric Wolford came back, you, you got a good, you know, quadrant of tackles right there. You got four guys uh, that I think could step in and, and do a good job. Um, and uh, I think the future's bright for Moore and Nichols in particular. So agree with Whittle there. I don't, there's really not a disagreement. Um, well, there may be on defense, but offense, I don't think there's a lot of disagreement. Um, Sedarius Hutcherson, Jovan Gwynn projected as the starting guards. Obviously, Jordan Rhodes was held out. Uh, Whittle has backup to be determined. Uh, there, I know they're working Hank Manos and Vincent Murphy, some uh, who are the, the backup centers right now at guard. Uh, also, they really like true freshman Vershawn Lee. I don't know how much he'll play. Will Rogers is there. They like Wyatt Campbell. Um, so Wyatt Campbell could be a guy that's kind of the backup. Usually on the offensive line, though, if somebody gets hurt, they they shift. They shift rather than just promote. And I think that's that's good. Uh, now I don't know if they'll do that at tackle this year because they got two pretty good backups that have experience. But you know they shift rather than promote. So we'll see if if, if we have an injury that we have to you know, analyze on the inside of the offensive line. You know, it'll be interesting to see who picks it up. But I, I would guess if you, if you were just sketching out a two deep, probably Wyatt Campbell would be listed as the backup at one guard, and then one of the backup centers would be listed as the backup of the other. Maybe Murphy or probably Vincent Murphy, in my opinion. Eric Douglas obviously is taking the starting center job. Uh, this is the last position we're going to go through. I, I, I think he's a better center than he is at other positions. Uh, he's a fourth-year guy. He's a guy Carolina beat Penn State on in the recruiting process. He's out of Charlotte. Um, and, and he's been through some adversity and, and, and played a lot of different positions and knows his stuff, and I think he's going to be pretty good. Um, I, I feel good about that spot. I know that Hank Manos, they, they remain high on him. Um, and they're high on Vincent Murphy, too. I think the Manos-Murphy battle is going to be an interesting one moving forward. Um, Whittle says Manos is the backup. I, I would – or Manos. Manos, Manos, Manos. Uh, I, got a, I, got a, I got a note from a teacher that says the, I mispronounce guys' names sometimes, and I, and I apologize for that. Um, but uh, that's the backup there. I, I'm not so sure about that. I think if I were sketching out a too deep, I'd do, probably do an or. But Vincent Murphy's a really good player. They really like him. And so I, I don't know. You know, right now, probably say Manos, but it'd probably be an or. And then I'd have Murphy at one of the backups of guard. So you look at this and, and like, okay, so I'll go through the positions. Like more concerned than I was or less concerned. Center, now that Douglas is the starter, less concerned. Guard, less con slightly more concerned because of depth. Okay. Offensive tackle, less concerned because turn and time nailed down that job and you got a nice, you know, four deep. Tight end, more concerned by a lot 
um, you know, they're wide receiver less concerned because when you really start looking at like the top six and their athletic ability, you're, you're less concerned than you were when you're like, oh, there's no speed, there's no this, there's no that. Um, running back, much more concerned than I was with Marshawn Lloyd out. Quarterback, less concerned because I kind of know how, you know, this thing's playing out. It's going to make whoever the starter is a lot better. You know, so here we are September 2nd, I think 15 days into the preseason. You know, there are most positions I'm probably less concerned about than more concerned uh, as we head forward uh, and continue to work toward the September 26th season opener against Tennessee. Had a nice conversation about that game today on the radio in Tuscaloosa. There's, you know, I think that you want to see a team that got completely, for lack of a better term, screwed by the SEC <laughs> uh, as far as, like, their schedule goes. Uh, and I know they were, they were supposed to play Oklahoma, and they're not going to play Oklahoma now. But, you know, you look at it, you know, they and their their permanent opponents always Bama. So they had Bama and Arkansas this year. You know, it's never it's never a good year when they have to play one of the big four uh, or two of the big four out of the West because they always play Bama. Um, <laughs> and uh, so they had the Oklahoma game, but then they had three other cupcakes non conference. You know, you, you play Arkansas, so you you know that that's a game out of the West. You feel like you can compete and probably win. But uh, the good old SEC gave the Vols uh, A&M and Auburn. <laughs> and not only that, they're in back-to-back weeks. You know, Texas A&M comes to Knoxville. Auburn uh, is on the road in the Plains the next week. Uh, they Two of their first three games are at South Carolina and at Georgia. You got a game against Missouri at home, sandwiched between it. Then they play Kentucky at home and Bama at home. They have a bye week. They go to Arkansas. They got A&M at Auburn, at Vandy. And then Florida, first time Tennessee and Florida have played since 2001 uh, in December. Of course, that was Spurrier's last game at the Swamp. Tennessee went in there and beat him 34-32 and cost the Gators a shot of the national title that year. That Gators team was really good. Tennessee went in there, I think, ran it like – I think Travis Stevens had like 215 rushing yards. Couldn't stop it. That day, so they'll meet in December. So, ah, yeah, that's Tennessee schedule. I, you know, from a South Carolina standpoint, you knew it was going to kind of be tough, but you know, they didn't really. I mean, you know, they added they added Auburn on. That's kind of, you know, a lot of people. Some people think Auburn's going to be fourth in the West this year. Some people think they're going to be second. Uh, they're kind of a mystery as Auburn is. Uh, and then you gave Ole Miss one of the. I mean, they didn't add Auburn and Bama to the schedule. You know, because you had AM and LSU already. But Tennessee, I mean, <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you want to talk about who's going to finish fourth in the West, if LSU keeps losing players, I mean, they they could slip below the other three. I mean, without question. I'm not sold on Miles Brennan now that he doesn't have Jamar Chase. Uh and it's 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 I don't want to say sad because everybody in life has to do what's best for them. But there, there are agents lurking around some of these programs that, that have big, big, big-time guys. Um, and they're in their ear. You know, why play? Why play? Beat yourself up. You can come train. You can get money. You know, protect yourself, all that. Um, 
I personally think that should be a family decision that people make, you know, and I think that uh, agents are, are there to make themselves money. Um, but I, I think, you know, I'm not faulting anybody for opting out. I'm just saying, you know, I, I don't think it's a good idea to have people recruiting players off of college teams. Um, LSU will survive. Don't get me wrong, but they still got really good players. But, you know, they're not Bama loaded <laughs> folks there. You know, there's one Bama, uh, you know, and, and after them, probably Ohio State. And after them, probably Clemson or Georgia, as far as the the, the, the teams that can kind of have enough quality depth to do it. In Georgia, that would be strictly on defense. And Clemson, I, I you know, they stay injury-free most of the time. So I, you really don't know what their depth looks like unless, you know, they're playing Wake Forest and they got 70 on the board. By the way, Wake Forest, uh, Clemson's opening opponent, it's an ABC primetime game in Winston-Salem in front of no fans. <laughs> I think Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler are going to Grove Stadium to call that game with no fans allowed in the stands and Clemson playing Wake. Wake, according to the 24-7 sports power rankings, 15th out of the 15 teams uh, in the ACC. I, I think I think Wake has a heck of a coach, um, you know, as far as how he's done at Wake. But I wouldn't expect any surprises on that. In fact – you turn it on at 7.30, I think by the time 8.15 gets there, it's going to be over. But, um, you know, stranger things have happened. But that's going to be weird if um, – because I think Kirk and Fowler are doing the ABC primetime game, and that is the ABC primetime game. So you're going to have Kirk Herbstreet, Chris Fowler, the, the crew there in Winston-Salem in front of no fans. <laughs> Bizarre, bizarre piece of primetime viewing, in my opinion. But Clemson, of course, kicks off here uh, two weeks before the game. Ten days, Tigers go up to Wake to Winston-Salem to play. So, um, anyway, got off kind of track there talking about other teams. But uh, it's fun to talk about other teams and fun to talk about matchups and all that. I'm sure you guys didn't mind. Uh, if you want to hear more about the Gamecocks and other teams, uh, listen to the J.C. and Morgan College Football Podcast. All right, mailbag questions. And uh, The first one comes in, and again, if you want to send in a mailbag question, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet at the Big Spur Pod on, um, on Twitter. Uh, you know, and we'll answer all of them. In fact, go follow at the Big Spur Pod. Uh, because that's a pretty good Twitter account. You get all our episodes there. Uh, if you're following at the Big Spur 24-7, we also, you know, post about the podcast there. But, you know, the podcast uh, Twitter, you never know. It may be, there may be a little something, maybe something different, you know, um, a little something different that we can, uh, we can uh, all enjoy if you're a Twitter follower. So go follow that. All right, podcast, or uh, pod question. That's the name of the email pod question. These are pod questions. No, um, mailbag question. All right, this one comes in from Preston. Hey, man, love the show. Would like to ask, what do you think the reason is for Muschamp not to be able to land any high-profile all-SEC-type linebackers or safeties? Definitely think it's our weakest spot every single year. Thanks, man. Um, uh, to, to be determined. I mean, as far as, you know, linebacker goes, they – they inherited Sky Moore, 
you know, TJ Brunson was not an all SEC guy, but he was an NFL draft pick. I think Ernest Jones is, you know, really good player. Um, you know, I, is he at all SEC? Could be, I mean, he's hurt right now, which stinks. Uh, so, so I wouldn't say they hadn't been able to land any. I would say that depth there is, is always kind of an issue, um, you know, and and they don't, you know, you don't have linebackers after linebackers after linebackers. And I'll, I'll get to safety in a second. Now I'll say this. You, you want to talk about high-profile guys that come in from the recruiting process that you say, yeah, those guys are going to be pretty good. Number one, Rosendo Lewis, who hadn't been healthy, still could be that type of guy. Um, Brad Johnson's playing the Sam linebacker this year, and I know he's kind of been seen more as an end or a buck, but t- people are talking really good about him. He was a four-star guy coming out. Uh, and then Muhammad Kaba, I mean, 6'2 and a half, 227 pounds, really going to push for time at the will. They've been very pleased with him. Four-star guy, top, you know, 150 guy in the country. Um, you know, so there's a guy like that. And then, you know, you kind of look at the uh, – the recruit this recruiting class you you have you know, for 2021 as far as just the, the the numbers or the rankings go you know you, you've got a four-star guy in Ternalius Tatum and then Bryce Steele who probably should be a four-star guy um both at linebacker and then they're recruiting some more so they've missed on some guys you know the, the hopper guy that uh, actually he's playing more safety type stuff now at Florida you know, that would have been a nice, nice match. Um, everybody talks about Channing Tindall. He hadn't really done all that much at Georgia. And I don't, I don't know. I don't think, I don't know that he'd be starting at South Carolina, maybe at the will. Um, Jamar Brown, you know, and, and there's talk out there. He may have banged himself up. He put something up on, on Instagram that makes people believe that we're still efforting that information. Jamar Brown's going to be a really good player. And it may just be a hybrid safety or whatever. Um, but I, you know, could they do better at linebacker? Probably. Um, recruiting, but things are not that bad. It's just that, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, linebacker was, you know, because Sherrod Green struggled so much. And then, you know, Brunson was kind of the only guy out there, um, you know, that type of thing. But Ernest Jones has been really good. He had an excellent season last year i know he didn't have the recruiting hype they beat duke on him um but he's a really good player he's probably going to be in the nfl um i thought sherrod green came a long way last year uh, and needs to continue to come you got muhammad kaba behind him we'll see what happens when rosendo lewis gets back and then brad johnson so we'll see and then there's help on the way in this recruiting class but um you know yeah i think if you're if you're looking for five star linebacker recruits you know they hadn't really gotten it but i'll also remind you that the last five star linebacker recruit the game guy scout was ricardo hurley <laughs> didn't pan out and probably the best linebacker uh the two best linebackers to play at south carolina uh, in the last 15 years were jasper brinkley and sky moore and maybe shaq wilson all those guys were three star guys um Brinkley was a high three Juco prospect. So, uh, you know, it, it's just one of those things. I, I think linebacker is one where you can kind of mix and match and find it. Uh, it it'd be great. And then in this system, too, because you have a, you know, the Sams, the Bucks, and those are kind of linebackers, but kind of not. Um, Sam is obviously more of a linebacker. And, 
you know, so, so we'll, you know, in the system, it's kind of hard to define. And the same thing happens at Alabama, you know, cause it's a similar system. You, you're just like, well, who is what and what is who and linebacker this and linebacker that. So who knows? But, um, you know, so, so we'll see, but yeah, it's, you know, if you're looking for star ratings and stuff like that and guys that have gone on to be all sec or whatever, you know, probably it hasn't happened under Muschamp. Safety's just been a, tragedy or travesty however you want to define it you know if you're more of a positive person you're probably gonna look at safety and go well here's the list of people who have gotten seriously injured playing safety at South Carolina uh, if you're kind of more of a negative person you're gonna say here's the list of people that you know couldn't really play safety at South Carolina <laughs> you know um, and it's been tough I mean you know Last year, the safeties still weren't good. Now, I think there is light at the end of the tunnel uh, this year. R.J. Roderick, uh, going into his third year, should be really good. Uh, Jalen Dickerson's finally healthy. We'll see, you know, what happens with him. Uh, and then you do have kind of a, a guy that's the, the the star back there in Jamie Robinson. Um, you know, and, and so with Jamie Robinson, they did recruit an all-SEC big-time type of safety. Um, he's a guy that's going to be really, really good. Played really well as a true freshman beyond his years. Could be the team's punt returner. Um, just a baller. Likes to play ball. Uh, they need to have somebody step up beside him. Now, whether that's, you know, uh, R.J. Roderick or whether that's Jamar Brown, who kind of slid back there and Jamar could play that position, uh, or whether that's Jalen Dickerson, you know, I think in certain packages, they're going to slide Mukwamu over, but that's only in certain packages. That's kind of like the Kevin Harris to fullback thing is he's not a full-time safety. He's a corner. Um, but in certain packages, they'll slide Cam Smith in and move Izzy over. Uh, I think probably pass defense kind of deal, center, go play center field. Um, so, so there are more answers there. And, and we, we tend to say that the last couple of off seasons, we've tended to say that. Uh, and then injuries hit, and all of a sudden three safeties are down, and you're like, wow, who's back there? You know, who's back there this week? Um, and there were some misses in recruiting early on and, and, and things of that nature. And it, it has been, unlike linebacker, where I think they've recruited kind of to their standard, you know, kind of to what, with what's out. They've gotten guys that they've needed, and they've been – they haven't been awful at that position. Um you know, with the exception of, you know, here and there. Uh, of course, you know, sometimes the linebackers look awful and it's your defensive line that's getting pushed around because you know, and all that. Uh, you know, I, I think safety has been one where you can go, why? You know, why, why aren't there – safety is not a very difficult position to recruit within South Carolina's footprint. There are a lot of good ones. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think part of it's been misses in recruiting. Part of it's – a lot of it's been injury. And a lot of it's been like, I think, two guys back there that, you know, have assignment bust based on the mental aspect of it because they're not ready to really go play. Um, and, and I think that that's just part of it. The, the, the system South Carolina has on defense puts a lot on its safeties. Um, and unfortunately, that's been where there's been a lot of personnel issues. Uh, so we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll see kind of how it all pans out at safety if you're talking about recruiting moving forward uh, I think potentially all right if Simeon Price 
who is a commit in this class and plays safety, he and Jaden Johnson could be a hell of a pair of safeties. Um, go look at their film. Uh, I think they're both guys that are, you know, steals. Jaden Johnson, uh, 6'2", 200 out of Cedartown, Georgia. Simeon Price, six feet, 204 pounds out of West Florida Tech in Pensacola. Um, those guys both, uh, I think, you know, you, you want to talk about who could be a big-time safety moving forward, uh, those two guys. Um, definitely, you know, definitely. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the future's probably bright. But, again, they got to get there. They got to develop. They got to avoid injury. You know, they got to do it. So, we'll see kind of what happens. I think improved safety plays the key to the defense this year, along with depth on the defensive line. I think they have to have that. Um, there's no question they have to have that. Thank you, Preston, for your question. I appreciate it. All right, James emails in. Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com is the email. What would you say is the biggest one play in Carolina history that changes the direction of the program in a positive way and a negative way? All right. So the one thing that could change would have changed the direction of the Carolina program, um, I think, were the, the two years where they had the best shot, like a clear path. But when I say the best shot, because I was talking to my good buddy Keith Ossep about this, um, and we brought up, you know, we were talking about Carolina, and we were talking about when when could they have won a national title. And he brought up 1980 and uh, the loss at Georgia in November, and then they kind of spiraled down for the rest of the year. And there's a lot of what-ifs there, and they did spiral down, and they could have been in the mix in 80 had they gone in there and beaten the Dogs. The Dogs won the national title. I think because that team finished eight and four, I, I you know, I, I I will say that's probably the third best shot, you know, unless there was some year back in the thirties or whatever. Um, knowing knowing the history of Carolina football, there's probably some year way back when where they had to forfeit some games and or the Rose Bowl invited them or something, and they were like, "No, we're not going" or something like that. I don't know. I don't know the big history of the, the ghost back in the day, but so, so I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go two years, 2013 and 1984, 2013 South Carolina um, had a shot at the national title. Um, and the, sorry, playing for the national title. Uh, and the one play that got him was Marquez North catching the ball on Ahmad Christian's forehead up at Tennessee that set up the game-winning field goal for the Vols. Uh, That Tennessee team was not that good. Uh, Carolina did not have a lot of focus. They were coming off a 52-7 win at Arkansas, and instead of continuing to do what they were doing, they tried to kind of mix things up, Um, and uh, it just didn't work. It was a cattywampus day, and Tennessee kind of played out of their mind, and, you know, Clowney barely missed a sack on that play, and, Justin Worley from Rock Hill throws it up, and the guy comes down with it, 23-21 win. South Carolina wins that game. And, and this is assumes, you know, because you, you don't know if they'd won that game, maybe they go to Missouri the next week and get beat or they don't they don't come back or whatever. Or maybe they start Connor Shaw from the beginning. Maybe he doesn't get banged up and they go up and down the field and beat Missouri. Who knows? Um, but assuming they, that the season plays out like it was, South Carolina wins the East – and instead of having to play Alabama, which I think would have been a tough out that year, 
they get to play Auburn. Now that Auburn team, you know, had Ellis Johnson as the defensive coordinator, you know, they, they weren't very, they weren't very good on defense at all. You know, Steve Spurrier's in there calling plays against Ellis Johnson. I kind of like that matchup. And who's to say that defense, though it wasn't the best defense and, you know, one of the dom- 2013 was not a dominant defense, but they still did have Clowney. And by the time the season, you know, was coming to an end, that, that defense was playing pretty well. Um, who's to say they don't get to shoot out and beat Auburn? Uh, then Michigan State upsets Ohio State uh, and puts the SEC champion, the one-loss SEC champion, into the Rose Bowl. And all of a sudden, you're talking about Steve Spurrier going against the hated Florida State team he hates, Florida State, in the Rose Bowl for the national championship. Now, you know, how awesome would that have been for South Carolina football? Uh, I also think even if you lose to Auburn and, and you, you know, maybe it's close and you're a play away from playing for it, that second appearance in the SEC championship game I think also helps the direction of the program. As it stood, you're just back to the Citrus Bowl and you beat Clemson five years in a row, whoop Clemson actually got more positive publicity out of that postseason because they went to the Orange Bowl and then they, they knocked off Ohio State. Um, or, yeah, Ohio State, Orange Bowl. So I, I think that changes the direction of the program um, in a positive way had – Ahmad Christian broken up that ball or had it been incomplete uh, or whatever. All right, so change uh, the direction of the program uh, in a negative way. Um, I'm going to say, you know, what if, you know, what what if in 84, and uh, I'll go back to 84, uh, what if, the Clemson defensive back steps in front of or gets closes the deal on the Mike hold pass uh, in the 22, 21 win at death Valley. That's stamped a streak. Um, you know, it's 21, 15 Clemson at the time. Uh, I know his name. I just can't think of it right now. He steps in front of it. He goes in for a pick six Clemson wins by double digits. All of a sudden you, you, you were 10 and 0 or nine and 0. And then you lost by double digits at Clemson and at Navy. You couldn't beat your arch rival, probably lose the Gator Bowl again. You know, then I don't think, you know, I think that negatively impacts those those coming seasons in 87 and then halfway through 88, where Carolina was really making noise, you know, on the national stage. The 80s were important to kind of lay groundwork uh, because I think they did just enough to where the SEC, when they went looking, they weren't really, you know, once Florida State turned them down, they weren't really looking for a powerhouse. <laughs> they were like, well, you know, we want, we want a team that kind of looks like a powerhouse, but they're not, you know. Vince Dooley had a good idea there, and he pushed for Carolina to get in. So, I, you know, that, that Clemson game does not go Carolina's way in 84, even though they were out of the national title hunt at the time. You know, and it's just kind of a 9-2, and 9-3-ish type of season. Nobody's talking about the black magic here. Uh, people are kind of disgusted with the way it ends. I don't know that the program has enough momentum because they had two losing seasons right after that where they had to kind of rebuild with some good young talent, and that set the stage for 87. And, you know, all those little moments during the 80s, you know, helped facilitate the program getting into the SEC 
which I think was the game changer, uh, you know. So maybe if that that passed uh, – and look, you, you can go back and watch the tape. It's on YouTube late, that late game-winning drive. The Clemson D-back has it in his hands, drops it. Um, and so I think that would have been very, very negative because that win was just so big, you know, coming off that disgusting Navy loss uh, back in 84. And, you know, again – Carolina beats Navy that year. They, you know, South Carolina, you know, if it hadn't been for some unexplained losses on the road at Navy and at Tennessee, you never know. Gamecocks could have been, you could have been looking at 1984 and 2013 national champions. I don't know how the Gamecocks would have matched up against that Jameis Winston Florida State team. I do know Auburn gave them all they wanted. You know, it was a very close game right down to the wire. So, you know. We will we we can speculate about that, but th- those are the two opportunities, and those are my strolls down memory lane, James. Thank you, James, for the question. Again, mailbag questions inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet at the Big Spur Pod, and uh, I get them all answered. I'll get them all answered for you. No question about it. Two good ones today, though. All right, I'm going to get out of here. Uh, don't forget JB and Goldwater, twelve thirty. I then look for the J.C. and Morgan College Football Podcast. Andy Staples is on with us today. Uh, we're going to talk a little football with Andy, Mike, and I, myself. Uh, we always enjoy that. So we, uh, you know, we like our guest on the J.C. and Morgan College Football Podcast. And uh, I'll be right back here with you probably tomorrow. Sometimes I skip Thursdays, but probably tomorrow. Uh, and uh, we'll be talking uh, Gamecocks, uh, maybe some some good news you know, uh, to talk about tomorrow or some bad news or whatever. (laughs) Send me your mailbag questions. Uh, And again, thanks for all the ratings on Apple. Uh, Again, let's go catch those Seminoles and uh, catch the Gators. Uh, They're in front of us. Uh, I think Texas is in front of us. So let's go, uh, let's go catch, uh, catch those programs that uh, in terms of Apple podcast reviews, I want to be number one and the 24-7 Sports Network on that. All right, J.C. Sherbert signing off. Holla at you guys soon.